Let's go to God in prayer once more before we go to his word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that with your spirit's help, you would make make the word you have spoken here true in our hearts so that we might know the love that you have shown us in Christ. So speak to us. Speak to us here through this word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever missed out on a great opportunity because you just couldn't see it at the time? You hear people talk about where they could have gone, what they could have done, the money they could have made. But usually when you're talking that way, there's no way you could have known. However, there are those really tragic times when you should have known. Maybe you even did know, but you didn't act. That brings on the pain of real regret. I remember a while back now meeting with a young couple that had been dating for a while and struggling with what to do next. So as we were talking, I tried to help his brother out. I set him up to reassure her of his feelings and his intentions so that the relationship would would move forward. So it was a simple question, like like a slow softball right across the middle of the plate. And he didn't take it. He didn't see the clear gift right in front of him. Is there something you're in danger of missing out on where you clearly shouldn't be? How would you even know? The truth is, it's possible that you're here this morning and that you're doing that with your whole life. But if that stresses you out, I want you to know that a church with an open Bible is a really good place to be. And church, when it comes to the Christian life, we don't want to miss out on the urgent purpose and joyful opportunity that Christ has given us. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to John chapter 4, verse 27. John chapter 4, verse 27. If you're using one of the church Bibles, you can find that on page 944. 944. And if you're new to the Bible, the large bold numbers are the chapters. The smaller numbers are the verses. And this morning we're looking at chapter 4, verses 27 through 42. Before we dive into the text, let's... Remind ourselves of the context. Back in chapter 1, John the Baptist testifies that Jesus is God's Messiah. That's the one God promised would come and deliver his people and rule over them as king. And so when Jesus shows up, John's disciples start following Jesus. And they too testify that Jesus is the Messiah. Then in chapter 2, Jesus demonstrates that truth with miracles, and then beginning in chapter 3, he explains how people can see the kingdom of God. They must be born again by the Spirit and put their faith in God's one and only Son. And whosoever does that, whoever believes, has eternal life. And that truth is on full display in chapter 4, 
when Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman at a well. To the Jews, Samaritans were spiritual outcasts. And this woman is an outcast among the Samaritans. She's a sexually broken and immoral woman rejected by her own people. In fact, she's coming alone to the well every day to avoid people. And yet Jesus starts a conversation with her, offers her living water as a gracious gift from God. His encounter with her demonstrates, actually, that he has the knowledge of God. He knows all about her. And knowing all about her, he assures her that God the Father desires people like her to worship him in spirit and in truth. Our text this morning comes right on the heels of that conversation. Now, the structure of this passage is kind of laid out like a sandwich, And like a sandwich, the meat is in the middle. That's where the the emphasis is. So it begins with the Samaritan woman running to town to testify about Jesus in verses 27 through 30. It ends with the town coming to Jesus and testifying about him in a similar way, verses 39 through 42. In the middle, sandwiched in between these people bearing witness to Jesus are these confused disciples getting a lesson on the mission of Jesus. That sandwich is is, is speaking to us. It's, It's telling us that if you rightly see Jesus, who he is, then you testify because of the joy of eternal life. And it hangs in the balance for all. And it's available to all who hear and believe. And therefore, we must testify. So here's the challenge for us this morning from this text, if you're taking notes. Open your eyes and don't miss out on Jesus or his mission. Open your eyes and don't miss out on Jesus or his mission. And if you're taking notes to help you listen and follow along, our outline is going to follow this sandwich that John has given us. So first, see Jesus. That's in verses 27 through 30, and then 39 through 42. So I'm going I'm to preach sort of the bread of the sandwich first, the two ends. But the emphasis is on what's in the middle. So we're going to come back to the middle in our second point, which is get on mission with Jesus. That's in verses 31 through 38. So see Jesus... Get on mission with Jesus. First, see Jesus. Look at verse 27. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? The disciples show up, and their jaw drops. Jewish rabbis aren't supposed to talk to women, especially alone, It's both distracting to their work and makes them prone to scandal. So his disciples see this and they're at a loss for words. This social rule is being broken by their rabbi, their teacher. And so they just stand there looking, awestruck. No words for this. And the text suggests that that's a problem. 
having confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, they should have humbly asked, what are you doing? Why are you talking with her? Teach us. But they don't do that because at this point, while the disciples have confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, they still don't see him rightly. Not yet as the Savior of the world. He's a Jewish Savior. Had they seen Jesus rightly, they would have asked questions for insight and they would have seen God's heart for the world. But instead, all they see is a Samaritan woman. Someone the Jews looked down on and felt justified in their hatred for reasons that go deep into their history, culture, and religion. The bottom line here is that Samaritans were a mixed race of people with a mixed religion, making them spiritually unclean and unfit for worship in the temple. So whether you call this prejudice or racism or egocentrism, the tendency of the human heart to always look down on others has always been a problem. It's always been a struggle. And we can see it right here in our text. And so when they show up in verse 27 and Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman alone, on the surface, based on the way they're seeing things, this doesn't look good. And what would they have done or thought if they knew that she was a sexually immoral woman? She's had five husbands and the man she's living with isn't even her husband. But they're judging her even before they get that information. So just imagine their response as they had even known beyond what they could see about this woman. But listen, nothing has kept Jesus from offering her the gift of God. Jesus has just finished telling her, the Father desires your worship. And she's waking up to the wonderful, life-giving truth that she has access to God the Father. This Samaritan, who doesn't know whether or not she should worship in Samaria or in Jerusalem, is being told, no, you can worship Him in spirit and truth through the Messiah. Guys, this is good news for all people, including undeserving sinners like us. The good news of the gospel is that though we have rebelled against God and all of us deserve his wrath, not his love, we deserve to be separated from him for eternity, truly alone from the person we were created for. In his great love and mercy, he has sent Jesus into the world to save us. Jesus came and lived a life among us. He came to us and lived a life we couldn't live but should have. And then on the cross... He took upon himself our rebellion and died for all of our sins so that those who trust in him can be made righteous in in God's sight because he takes on our sin and pays for them fully. And God has raised him from the dead so that we might know this has happened. And so if we turn from our sin, we can enjoy life with him for eternity. The Samaritan woman is starting to Wake up to that reality and see Jesus as a Savior. Now, do you ever think or act like the disciples? As if there are others, or maybe yourself, 
who are like this Samaritan woman in your eyes and shouldn't hear this good news from you? It might be good for us to stop and think about who that might be. Maybe it's a Democrat or a Republican. Maybe it's a rich person or a homeless person or someone who simply looks different or talks different than you. We're all capable of looking down on someone and feeling justified. So be honest. Is there someone that you have a hard time talking to or a hard time loving? And could it be that by the way that we respond to what we see in the world and the people that we see in the world that we don't speak to or speak to differently, that it's not as clear that Jesus has died for such sinners. As if the mercy of God doesn't reach the depth of this type of person. And so we don't tend to bother to pray for them or reach out to them. So let's be clear. The disciples and whatever might be going on in their sinful hearts, whether it's self-righteousness or some form of racism, is wrong. Because it's clearly not aligning with what's going on in Jesus' heart. And so before we would even think about telling anyone that they're going to hell, we should feel compelled to invite them to heaven. Because if we see Jesus rightly, then you know His mercy. And if you know your own sin, then it feels like you're the worst sinner there is. And knowing that your sin deserves the almighty wrath of God for eternity, and that it's only because God in His mercy freely chose to send His Son to die for you, you have a good reason to be amazed, awestruck, dumbstruck at His grace towards you. To know and love God isn't worth comparing to any once-in-a-lifetime opportunity on earth. He has offered real life, the kind you truly desire for eternity. So if God has shown you grace like that, then certainly you'd want others to experience it with you. That's what this passage is all about. This woman sees Jesus as good news from God to her Offering her living water, life with the Father. And she can't help but to go now and speak about him. She becomes a witness. Verse 28. Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. She's gone. She's got something more pressing to deal with than their amazement. It's so pressing, she just leaves her water jar and goes right into the town, the public square. So think about what she's doing there. Remember, why was she at the well alone? Normally, the women always came together in the morning when it was cool. But she had come at the hottest part of the day alone. And no doubt, it has to do with the very thing that Jesus just pointed out. She's had many lovers. Five husbands, and the man she's with is not even her husband. 
So maybe the other women of the town have made it clear she's not welcome around them. Maybe it's this woman's own shame that makes her want to avoid being seen. But regardless, whether or not she's chosen to be alone or had to be alone, her shame made being alone feel safer than being with people. And I just wonder how many people aren't here today because of the same thing. I wonder how hard it was for you to come here this morning. Maybe you're not a Christian and it was very hard for you to come. And I just want you to know if you're here and that's you, we're really glad you made it. We hope you keep coming back. But maybe you're here and you are a Christian, even a member of this church, and you're here, but you know you're hiding. There's some secret sin that no one knows because you're afraid to tell them. Or regardless of who you are, look at this and be amazed. The same woman who was burdened with shame and alone, is running into town and not hiding anything. All because of Jesus. He's the difference here. When Jesus initiated that conversation with her, asked her for a drink, he was breaking cultural, social barriers that clearly communicated, I am not ashamed of you. And only after doing that did he expose her sin. But then he did it in such a way to say, I know you, I know all about you, but believe me, you can have a relationship with God the Father. He desires your worship. And then he reveals himself to her as the Messiah. The reason she drops her water jar and runs to town is because she just had an experience with the grace of God through Jesus Christ. And if he isn't ashamed of her then she has no reason to be afraid of what others think anymore. I know what God thinks of me. I'm not worried about what that town is going to think. God has accepted me. And so she just goes in and she says, look, he knows everything about me. And she's not afraid of rejection because of that. This encounter with Jesus is bigger than her. Now, to be clear, she's not suddenly claiming to be righteous. She knows who she is. But she just met Jesus, and that changes things. Now she's got a testimony, and she's on mission. Verse 29, come and see. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now, to some degree, that communicates a level of belief. Obviously, there's there's more to discover here about Jesus, but there's a certain level of real faith here in order for her to air her dirty laundry to everybody. He knows everything about me. And that's a really powerful testimony in this case because presumably these people know who she is. And they know she's been hiding. And yet she says, come and see him. (laughs) In other words, don't miss out on this opportunity. You've got to see Jesus. It's not really about her. And so the town makes their way towards him. If you're here and you're not a Christian, don't miss out what's happening right now. You're here 
in a church with the Bible, hearing good news about Jesus. And no matter who you are or who you've been, you can enjoy eternal life with God through faith right now. Don't miss this opportunity. What grace this is from God at this moment. And church, because the gospel is always preached here, and we try to make it all about Jesus, I think this is a safe place for sinners like us to be honest about our struggles. Since Jesus has bore our shame on the cross and paid for it in full, wiped it from our record, there's no shame here to confess our sin to others. Really, no matter what those sins are. And I mean that. It doesn't matter. There's no shame in Christ. And there's a lot of freedom in that. Oh, there's so much freedom from the world here. Our society is controlled by what people think of them. Many of us are plagued by feelings of guilt and shame because of past failures and hurt. Uh, Maybe present ones. But listen, we're not made for people and what their thoughts. We're made for God. And the more that we understand that God loves us and accepts us on the basis of Christ, the less we fear what others think. And we just live for the joy of knowing God and being loved right where we're at, right now. So if you're here this morning and you're, you're here, but you're hiding, tell someone after the service today. Let them know. And church, if someone confesses their sin to you, you don't need to worry about condoning that sin by being gentle with them. That's not something you have to worry about. They're confessing because they know it's wrong. So your job, as any time someone's confessing sin to you, your job is to rejoice with them right there in the grace of Christ and point them to the gospel for real change. That's what this woman does. She sees grace for herself, and suddenly she's on mission telling others, come and see. That's the natural reaction to a supernatural encounter with Jesus. You get on mission. You tell others, come and see him. Because if he's not ashamed of you, but actually bore your shame on a cross, you shouldn't be ashamed of him. And he promises that if you're not ashamed of him before people, he won't be ashamed of you before his father. So if you want some assurance this morning that you've experienced the grace of God, think about whether or not you want to talk about him with others. And if you ever do. I'm not saying that that can't be hard or scary. We don't know exactly what the woman felt when she did this. We just know what she did. So if you talk about Jesus because you want to, uh, that's manifesting grace that you've been shown. And if you're not a Christian, that's what we want you to see here. We don't want you to see a bunch of people who've got it all together. We want you to see God's grace towards us. Because that's what's going to help you see Jesus. So come and see. And I would say see him in the word that's preached here. See him in the truth that we sing. But also see him in our love for one another as a church. Again, not that we're perfect. But because we've seen Jesus rightly, he has done a work in us. He's changed us by his grace, and he's continuing to change us. And you should be able to see that if you hang around. So please, get to know us. 
if you want to know the truth of Christianity. Through the years that I've been serving here, some of the most humbling and greatest joys I've had is talking with skeptics at the door and hear them say things like, I don't really know what to say to you, but this place is beautiful. And they're not talking about the building. They're, they're talking about what's happening here among the people. Well, when these townspeople see this woman like this, they want to see Jesus. So let's more briefly look at the other end of this sandwich, beginning in verse 39. Verse 39. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, two, stay with him and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the women, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. They came to hear Jesus because of the woman's testimony, but they believed and testified because of Jesus' word. That's, That's the order of effective evangelism, really. We're just testifying to who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And then God uses that testimony to introduce people to Jesus. But the only one who can open their eyes and rightly reveal who he is, is himself. People must encounter him in his word. You see that in verses 41 and 42? It's because of what Jesus said and what they heard themselves from him that they now know and believe he's the savior of the world. Meaning, them too. And that means we don't need the kind of miraculous encounter with Jesus like the woman had. We just can look at the townspeople and know that we just need to hear from him and you can have that kind of miraculous encounter with his spirit through his word. So church, when you testify about Jesus, do it with a lot of humility Know that you don't have the power to change anyone. He does. And when you testify, lean on the truth of his word. Because that's where people are going to encounter the power of his spirit. And that means for our own good, we want to get in his word as much as we can. We don't want to miss out on opportunities where the Bible is being opened and being taught to us. We want to take as many opportunities as we can to hear the Bible preached. And it's going to happen again tonight. You know, someone has worked on the text, they've studied, they've thought, and they've put a message together that's going to expose the meaning of the Bible and apply it to our lives. So you want to be there. You may not feel that right now. You may doubt that. But just based on what we see in Scripture, you really do actually want to be here every week, morning and evening, if possible. Because the Bible's being opened. It's an amazing opportunity that we so often don't see rightly and take for granted. But this is God's word. (laughs) This is what the spirit of Jesus uses to talk to us. So please, put yourself in position to hear from God, especially with his people. We want to be like this town and together be shaped by what we hear so that it changes all of us together. I mean, the fact that these Samaritans asked Jesus to stay with them is extraordinary since he's a Jew. But that request just reveals the supernatural, spiritual awakening communicated in their stated belief that he's the Savior of the world. To whosoever believes, that's what we're seeing. 
A spiritual harvest has begun. And it's not what you'd expect. If you remember the prologue of what John was saying about light and darkness. Well, there was darkness with Nicodemus back in chapter 3. But there's light with this Samaritan woman. There was darkness in chapter 2 in Jerusalem. But there's light in the Samaritan town of Sychar. John is trying to help us all see Jesus rightly in an unlikely harvest from an unlikely sower. It clarifies for us who Jesus is. Jesus tells the woman the good news and nearly a whole Samaritan town believes. That's a seed that reaps a hundred times what was sown. The fields are that ripe because it's the will of the Father who sent his Son to gather all kinds of people from all over the world. And so church, part of what we need to see is that there's not a corner of this world that's unfit for God to reap a harvest. There's not a single people group or a kind of sinner that the blood of Jesus won't atone for. Jesus died for whosoever believes. Have you written off certain fields and refused to labor there in unbelief and disobedience? Maybe within your own family? Or maybe you haven't really opened your eyes to the neighbor field you live in or the workplace. Look, you need to know that the gospel is like miracle grow in the soil of dead hearts. Bringing people to life. Biblically speaking, we have always been preaching in a spiritual graveyard. And yet God is reaping a spiritual harvest. Believe that he wants to do that through you. And this church. Send one another prayer requests throughout the week of people that you're sharing the gospel with or that you want to share the gospel with. People that you're asking God to save. You should just start making a list right now if you haven't done that yet. And include people who are very different from you. Pray that the gospel that's for everyone will save a diverse group of people who will then be committed to doing the difficult work of loving one another in order that the world may know that we're his disciples. See Jesus rightly. And be part of his mission in the world right now, in Providence and beyond. Which brings us to the meat of the sandwich. The middle part. Get on mission with Jesus. Verse 31. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? They're confused. I mean, Jesus had sent them back into town, presumably back in verse 8, to get food. But now, in the wake of their shock over his conversation with this Samaritan woman, he says he's got food that they don't know about. And they start wondering if someone brought him lunch. I mean, you get the feeling, based on the text, that after this woman left, they think, okay, that was weird. Maybe Jesus just needs something to eat. (laughs) But Jesus is using this moment... As an important teaching opportunity. They're infected with a classic case of earthly perspective. It's a spiritual disease brought on by the desires of our flesh. The lust of our eyes. Our carnal minds. And so they hear Jesus in literal terms. Talking about food. But Jesus wants them to see differently. They want, he wants them to see himself differently. And therefore understand his mission differently. And not miss the incredible opportunity that's right in front of them. Verse 34. 
My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Verse 34 is key for interpreting the middle of our sandwich. It tells you how to read this section, especially with the woman and the townspeople testifying on either end of this. The disciples left for food back in verse 8, and Jesus is saying, look, it's right here. You guys went grocery shopping when you should have been focused on the harvest. You're focused on your bellies. I want you to focus on souls. Now, it goes without saying that Jesus isn't against food. More than once, he's miraculously feeding people. Even in his resurrected body, he's, he's making food and eating food. But the opportunity that has just come up with this woman and this coming town to see him is more important than the food they, they're talking about. Because while, the life, while this life is a gift from God in which we should take care of our bodies, eternal life is even greater gift. Jesus says his food, his sustenance and satisfaction comes from doing the Father's will and finishing his work. I was recently talking about this text with someone and they commented on how there are times when they're so into their work, you know, making, maybe making some breakthrough in a project that they either forget to eat or they would simply rather keep working than to take a lunch break. In some sense, in that moment... As they're making a breakthrough, the work is more fulfilling than food. Well, that's the way it is for Jesus right here. He's saying, let's not worry about food at the moment when we've got this opportunity right in front of us. There's a town of Samaritans coming. Let's reap the harvest of eternal life. God's will, his work, takes precedence over food at that moment. Look, if we see Jesus rightly, if we see him as the savior of all who believe that it really is a whosoever, then there are going to be times when preaching the gospel will take precedence over everything else. No matter what it is in that moment, eternal life hangs in the balance. You don't want to miss that opportunity. And so that means it will sometimes take precedence over your health and physical safety, or financial security. Now, be wise. This, this, this text doesn't mean that we should just walk into our work or classroom tomorrow and just risk losing our jobs or getting kicked out because of our witness. But if God clearly presents an opportunity, even at great risk to your reputation, or job, or even your life, be willing. Because a harvest of eternal life is more important than eating another meal. That's what living by faith in Jesus, on mission with Jesus, looks like. And yet, that's hard for people like us. Living by faith and not by sight is, isn't just, it's not natural to our experience in this world. The opportunities that we're often looking for are much more about the physical pleasures and comforts of this world. It's a new relationship. 
a, a new purchase, a new experience, or just making sure we can pay our bills this month. And churches can make the same mistake of living with this kind of earthly perspective when they're all about maintaining what they've got rather than being on mission. When their growth plan is more about attracting other Christians than they are about reaching the lost. Jesus has left us an example here that we may learn to do God's will just as he did and with diligence to to wake up, open our eyes, and get busy with the work. It's like he's pointing to this crowd of people that are coming up the road and saying, Open your eyes. Why are you talking about food? I don't care about eating right now. I want to preach to these people. The fields are ripe for harvest. And a Samaritan field is an unlikely field to work in. Especially for those disciples. Jesus would have sounded like a farmer pulling up to a rocky desert and saying... This looks like a good place to start a farm. And yet, here's a crop propping up on the horizon as the town of Sikar makes their way towards Jesus. This, Jesus sees this crowd, or he knows they're coming, and he's saying, the time is right now. You don't have to pray about it. <laughs> you don't have to pray about whether or not you should share the gospel with someone. I realize there's good and bad timing for in-depth conversations about Jesus, but whether or not your friend or relative should hear from you about Jesus isn't something you need to pray about. If you're a Christian, then you're called to this work. Commissioned. Really? Me, Kevin? Yes, you. He wants you on mission. So you might not think of yourself as an evangelist, but you have a testimony And you have a field. And Jesus commands us all to go because the work's that important. Even if you're a new Christian, look how quickly the Samaritan woman testifies. Now, it's not easy. Life is very busy. It's easy to be distracted by lots of good things like eating or parenting or working or playing. And one of the sins that I'm often confessing myself is God... Forgive me for my lack of evangelism. For missing out on this amazing work while I've got the time in this life. The reality of this harvest should put us on mission every day. Some of us should seriously pray about going where no one has yet sowed the sea of the gospel. Because we need sowers. In fact, I think every Christian should wrestle at some point about whether or not God wants them to be on mission among an unreached people. Every Christian should wrestle with that. It doesn't mean everyone should go, but the field is ripe for harvest. We we should pray. We should wrestle with that. And if you're a college student or a teenager or a child, it's especially good for you to pray about this and talk with someone Uh, like one of your pastors, if you feel a desire to do this, because you can much more easily make that move at this point in your life. But the reason none of us make these moves, the reason we don't work the field that God has given us, is because we often find ourselves on a different mission in this world. Like the disciples who were on a mission to get food. Not a bad thing. But Jesus says, if you can look out four months in advance and work in order to reap, If you can see that opportunity, you should be able to see this opportunity. It's right in front of you. 
Eternal life is coming. And you can reap the joy of it. But they're too busy being concerned with material. Satisfying an immediate desire, an, an earthly harvest. And that has them confused about Jesus' encounter with the woman. They don't see him as the savior of the world. And Jesus knows that and says, open your eyes. Look at the fields of Samaria. There's a crop of eternal life. And it's going to result in the joy of the sower and the reaper. And it's much better than the fruit of this world. But if you don't see Jesus, you don't see that opportunity. We work for something different. We look out beyond four months to maybe 10, 20, 30 years. And we work and invest in preparation for the joy of retirement. Or some of us have a shorter horizon. And we're working this week because we're hoping to reap the joys of a vacation. But if you can do that, then you should be able to prioritize the mission of Jesus. And all that goes on in the ministry of this church. Jesus is promising rewards for the work. Wages, Jesus says, that are more sustaining to our souls than anything in this world. More satisfying. And experientially, I've just found that to be true. That when I'm sharing the gospel, that's when I feel most alive. Even when as a Christian when I'm speaking and I'm clearly on trial with that person, maybe being judged by that person, and I leave not feeling great, sometimes hurt, even then I feel good. Because I feel the fellowship of the Spirit. Jesus is with me in that moment because I'm on mission with Him. And this is the part, of, part of the beauty of mission. The harvest work is something that God does through His people. Both through those who sow and reap. Both groups rejoice together. And Jesus is calling us to do that work, including the work of reaping, right now. Verse 38. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored. And you have benefited from their labor. Now, most likely, Jesus is referring to the work of John the Baptist here. And his ministry as the forerunner, testifying about Jesus. He could be referring to the Old Testament prophets. But here's the point. Jesus is saying, right now, I'm here, and the harvesting work has begun. And no one who reaps can claim credit for that spiritual success. The harvest belongs just as much to the sower as it does the reaper. This is why we heard John the Baptist say back in chapter 3, this joy of mine is complete. Why is he rejoicing? Because he's the sower, and the reaper has come, and the crowds are going to Jesus. That's why he's rejoicing. Which makes our ministry of sowing the seed of the gospel and reaping the harvest all the more exciting today. When we see someone come to know Jesus, we can rejoice in that moment and praise God for all the work that has been done up to that point with that person. And we can rejoice when we do the work of sowing and we don't necessarily see the results right away because we can trust that God is working. When we feel like total failures and and, and experience rejection... That actually might not be true at all. In fact, maybe it's how you handle that rejection that will open eyes. And so when that person comes to faith years later through someone else's ministry in another church, you're just as much a part of that harvest in God's eyes as the reaper, and you will rejoice in a reward 
in heaven. We've got to think about our ministry this way. Especially when the work is slow and hard. From a farming standpoint, the sowing is much harder work. That's why there's so much rejoicing for the sower. God declares in Amos 9.13 that the days are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper. This is why. When the harvest finally comes, they get to see the fruit of their labor. There's, There's something in that. And so we've got to learn to take joy, church, in sowing the gospel. When we pray for people on Sunday nights that we've shared with, we should rejoice then, right now, even before we hear about the harvest. And that means even when we make boring budget decisions about a building, we can rejoice and think about the years of ministry that might be done here, long after we're gone. In fact, we're sowing in Providence right now many gospel seeds that might be watered by some other church long after we're gone. Some of the seeds we sow in our workplace might get scattered and sent across the country to be reaped there. And many of these seeds we're sowing will reap a harvest a hundred times what Jesus was sowing, just like this woman. And in God's kindness, he allows us to see some of the fruits of our labors right now. But we've got to be doing the work to rejoice in the work. So are you proclaiming the good news of the gospel? Are you on mission with Jesus? Is the gospel among the events or issues that you're passionate about? Or is it just about what's happening on Twitter? Are those the type of things that you're passionately speaking about? Among the good things that we rightfully proclaim, like justice, is Jesus foremost in that proclamation? That's part of what Jesus wants to see happen in his disciples. That because he's the savior of the world, they get on mission in the world. And honestly, the hardest work has been done for us here. Jesus has secured for himself a bride made up of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Not one drop of his blood will be spilled in vain. The father will honor the death of his son to the fullest extent and bring in the full number of the elect. Which means the field is ready for harvest. We are laborers who must go into the field, sow and reap it for the glory of Christ. And we can do that with absolute confidence and uncompromising faithfulness because Jesus has done the infinitely difficult work of bearing our sin and satisfying the wrath of God for sinners. Think of what he has done for us, for the world. And go into the fields of your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, this city, and even the more needy places of the world for your Savior. And do it for your joy and His glory. Let's pray. Oh God, we do thank you for your grace towards us. And reflecting on that grace, God, we pray we would just get a really clear view of Jesus as Savior. And that this would cause us to leave this place excited, desirous of telling others about him. 
for our joy and your glory. And so we pray you bless us in Jesus' name. Amen.